the mystery of Marie Roger. A mystery that once had all of Paris in a turmoil. For Marie Roger, darling of the city, beautiful but cruel, had as many enemies as she had lovers. May I ask why you use this curious way of having Mademoiselle Camille escorted to a party? I happen to know that she's going to be murdered tonight. the murk and mist of the river to the horror of the morgue goes the trail of Marie Roger. But neither threats nor attempted murder can stop the one man determined to solve this grim mystery. Looks as if the face had been torn to a pulp by the claws of an animal. You knew I was justified and that I'd be cleared, but for some reason you've got it in for me. <laughs> My seconds will call on you, monsieur. And if it's the last thing I do, I'll kill you. Did you see? to the bloody pit. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And tonight we return to the 1940s for yet another universal mm. horror film. Yep. This one is pretty obscure, folks, although it has been issued on DVD, so it is obtainable. I'm, I'm sure it's also lurking out there on the mighty tube of you. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's called The Mystery of Mary Roget. It is an adaptation of an Edgar Allan Poe story. It takes a number of liberties. <laughs> Several and five, <laughs> but we shall uh, we shall talk about that uh, momentarily. It's uh, it's an interesting film, and it's one that if you're a Universal horror fan, I think it's worth seeing. Although it will probably never reach the the top fifty percentile of what yeah. you consider to be the best. Yeah. So uh, I think that it's worth seeing, but uh, interesting that uh, interesting that this one's easy to see. Mm-hmm. There's going to be uh, a couple down the road that are a little more difficult yeah. to get your hands on, of course. But this one. Is, you know, like I say, it's uh, it's not on Blu-ray, but it is on DVD out there, so you can mm. track it down. Well, there was disappointment recently when we, it was announced that they wouldn't be doing any more Universal sets. Uh, box Screen the, Factory. Uh, yeah. Screen Factory will not be. I should clarify that, you know, because yeah. I think people were hoping this might make it onto one. They might do one more set that would have some of these last uh, obscurities out yeah, there, but it looks uh, like we won't get this from them, but maybe we'll get it from somebody. Someday. Well, I think that... Not long after that was announced, and everybody was like, "Well, damn it!" I was like, "You know, we were looking for something like maybe like Secret of the Blue Room and a couple yeah. of others like that." Yeah. And uh, but then it was announced that uh, Curse of the Undead, which is one of those, yeah. Yeah. is actually coming out from Kino, yeah. if I remember correctly. Yeah. So that's Kino, good at least. Kino might pick up the bottle in this because it's obvious that the good elements are good for it out there. Oh I mean, yeah. A, yeah, even these versions we found out there good look good. So it's uh, like I say. We want to see it all. <laughs> we want to see it all as good as it can be. Yes. And so uh, the real joy is going to be able to, it is when we're going to be able to actually see these, um, mm-hmm. you know, at the drop of a hat on Blu-ray, 
in high def with uh, commentary tracks that uh, let us know things that we don't know, like mm-hmm. you know the fact that Lon Chaney Jr. played the Frankenstein monster in Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein at least in just one, one scene. scene. One scene, yes, yes. That's that's a that's a find. I gotta I gotta go back and I don't know how many times I've rewatched that movie, mm-hmm. but now. Mm-hmm. I got reason to watch it again, <laughs> yeah, just watch. to make sure I look at that scene. And yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah. Glenn Strange injured his uh, foot uh, during uh, the filming of Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein, and so there's one scene where uh, uh, up in the lab there, where uh, Lou Costello strapped to the table, and there's a shot of the Frankenstein monster, and until it was pointed out, it pointed out to me in the audio commentary, I would have never noticed, having also watched this film all my life. But once yeah. you realize, you look, and it's very obviously not Glenn Strange, and you can tell it's. It's Lon Chaney, but never would have never would have picked up on that otherwise. That's I mean that's just not that I need a reason to go back and rewatch that movie. I probably watch <laughs> oh, it. I probably will watch it in October. I pretty yeah. much do. I always watch yeah. it every October. So, but um, before we go on, I, I did want to say that um, oh have you what before we go any further have you seen anything recently you want to bring to people's attention? I've got one I want to talk about. Oh but. yeah, just just a, a nice little find uh, something I'd never watched before, and and I think probably deserves to be have a better reputation than it did or i don't think it has a bad reputation it's just kind of been forgotten is the day the earth caught fire the hammer film directed oh, yeah. by val guest i was really impressed by how, how good that is it's and a great movie i guess the fact that because it has sort of faded into obscurity you don't really hear it mentioned that much you know and, and uh i guess maybe i was under the impression it was not i mean i guess i wasn't expecting I mean, having val guest's name on it yeah, I was expecting a certain level of quality, but I was not expecting to enjoy it as much as I did, or for it to be as effective as it is, and well written and well it's acted. It's a really, yeah. it's it's a really tense drama that yeah. just also happens to be a science fiction movie, yeah. and it's just, yeah. yeah, it's an it's an exceptional little little movie. I caught up with it when it came out on DVD, you know, low those many years ago. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, I've been I've been looking forward to the to the new Blu-ray, although I I don't have it as yet. Mm-hmm. Well, the movie I wanted to bring up that I caught recently is. I did a, a little double feature of a couple of uh, movies I bought from Arrow on, mm-hmm. on Blu-ray here recently. Both of them fairly much blind buys, just out of curiosity. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them, which I won't talk too much about, is a supposed comedy, a horror comedy, uh, American film called Doom Asylum, which um, mm-hmm. I, it's, I, I don't... It, you did horror, not laugh much, I take it. You did not. <laughs> no, no, no. As far as I was concerned, the only reason to watch the movie was to... Um, Look at the two very attractive women. One who went on to star in Sex and the City, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The two very attractive women who were in uh, swimsuits for the majority of the mm-hmm. film, mm-hmm. which is great, mm-hmm. but that's not enough yeah. <laughs> to own it on Blu-ray. Anyway, <laughs> I will stop now. But Doom Asylum, I can't recommend. But the one that I can is a film called Madhouse, and I know what you're going to say. Aren't there about 17 movies for that time? <laughs> yeah, I'm picturing Vincent Price. Is funny, so yeah. Exactly. I like the Vincent Price film Me from too. the 70s. This is from 1981. Um, it's also not the Madhouse uh, starring John Larroquette oh, from right, like yeah. the 90s, from the early 90s. Uh, I think John Larroquette and Kirstie Alley. Anyway, 1981, Madhouse, also known as There Was a Little Girl. Mm-hmm. And a very interesting film, an mm-hmm. Italian-made movie that was actually shot in Savannah, Georgia. And I can I can recommend this movie. I did enjoy it. Uh, I was a bit surprised. It's, it's one of those movies that's right on the cusp of being... Uh, a giallo and a slasher it's kind of they kind of rub up against each other really mm-hmm. hard in this movie mm-hmm. and it's very effective I really enjoyed it uh, it's directed by uh, a, a video a, a sonatice a, a a or a sonatis, who but we uh, just know him as 
<laughs> who do we know? I don't know. Who, oh, Oliver Hellman. It's Oliver Hellman. What, now, I can see how they got Oliver out of, of video. Now, how in the world they got Hellman out of the, his last name? I guess they wanted people to associate it with Monty Hellman, maybe? I mean, who knows? Uh, who knows? <laughs> but he's also the guy who made Beyond the Door, yeah. which is a batshit crazy oh, exorcist ripoff. Insane film, but fun. Uh, Tentacles, which is an incredibly boring about a sea, an incredibly boring movie about a sea creature uh, attempting to uh, kill people on land with an incredible cast that are just yeah. you, you wonder how the hell this happened. <laughs> uh, and then he also was the co-director of uh, Piranha Two, along with uh, James mm-hmm. Cameron, who realized while making this movie that this was not what he needed to be doing. <laughs> the Madhouse. I mean, don't get me wrong. I enjoy Beyond the Door because it's madness yeah. itself. Yeah. But Madhouse, actually, I can I can say you don't have to go into Madhouse with the mindset of ah this will be ridiculous. <laughs> you can just go in and and, yeah. ex, and and expect a movie, and it actually gives you a movie. Cool. Uh, and I was really surprised. I was impressed. I enjoyed it. Cool. But those are uh, those are just a couple of things here lately. I'm also taking a run finally through uh, Mike Flanagan's uh, Tim Part version of The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. I've got two episodes to go, and all I can say is Mike Flanagan, you are an astonishing filmmaker. Yeah. I am. Yeah. I liked it. So I've, impressed with him. I am. Yeah. His, I mean, his, don't get me wrong, I've liked all of the horror movies I've seen by him mm-hmm. so far, and mm-hmm. we're talking at this point almost five. Mm-hmm. We're talking like Oculus and Hush and uh, Absentia and now Doctor Sleep. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, oh darn it, the other the other King adaptation he did for Netflix um, with uh, Carla uh, Gugino. Um, oh, good lord! It's the one who's uh, handcuffed to the bed and her husband dies. I can't oh. believe I can't remember the name of the damn thing. Anyway, oh, yeah, it's it's also very good. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I was very impressed with, with, with The Haunting. I thought he did a terrific job on it. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I was not expecting <clears throat> sure. I mean, to, for, to, for him to be able to turn this into what he turns it into. Yeah, well, it's astonishing. Yeah, well, initially for all of us who worship the film, you know, yeah. version who who always had the, you know, why you know why mess with perfection thing? What can you do to prove, you know, they actually came up with a great take on it. Uh, yeah. It totally stands on its own as it's a its terrific own, it's, series. Yeah. yeah, it's its own beast. Yeah. Uh, it can uh, it can basically be seen almost as a sequel mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. wanted to take sure. it that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's yeah. I was just, I'm really 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 <laughs> impressed, and the acting is oh, astonishing yeah. throughout. And I'm just constantly impressed with Flanagan's uh, very Kubrick esque mm. choice of ways in which to shoot sequences and imagery. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had forgotten until I was about halfway through. I think episode. I think it's episode seven. Which is done as if as, it, oh, as if it were one shot. Y'all take, now, there's no yeah, way, of yeah, course. You're right. Sure. There's no way it can, can be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's 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 that it's that floating camera dealing right. with uh, basically just one or two rooms. Mm-hmm. You know, with like five or six characters, kind of dealing with mm-hmm. the the death of another character, and it's just like it's a it, it's a, it's a master class in how to handle something like that it's yeah. absolutely brilliant and i'm my uh, my uh, my admiration mm-hmm. for mike flanagan continues to grow mm-hmm. but beside the point mm-hmm. folks we've already is, we've already talked longer than the movie that we're actually going to cover yeah, no kidding <laughs> i guarantee you this ep- this episode of this podcast rather even if we just discussed the movie would be longer than the movie itself yes. because yes. 
It's only an hour and a minute long, yeah. folks. <laughs> if you want a, if you want a quick little uh, black and white horror film that's uh, rare that you're pretty sure most people haven't seen, you want to like slide into a, a slot in a in a movie mm-hmm. marathon during October. This one mm-hmm. will fit the bill. It won't thrill everybody. You know, yeah. It ain't got no murdering gorilla or nothing. No, no. It. Uh, mm-hmm. It's sort of a sequel to the murdering gorilla. Yeah, gorilla and boy, do they. Press that button. Yes, they do. Oh, yes. Two or three yes. times throughout the throughout the picture. So okay. Well, first of all, this is based on. Oh, I guess we're going to take a little break. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I tell you what. Why, why, why you? You're right. Let's take a little break. Let yes, people yes. get themselves set. Get you some That's popcorn. Right. Get yourself something to drink. Right. And uh, we'll come back and we Put will on discuss. your best French accent and. Uh... <laughs> Just okay. Let's before we break. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good thing to bring up. Yes, we're in Universal Land again, folks. We're in Universal. Yes, exactly. But this is Paris, eighteen eighty nine. Yeah, yeah. Taint nobody even thinking about an accent. No, no. Which only- which might be better than a bunch of people doing bad. French accents, but it is it oh, is, it is yeah. funny. It is the universal world where yeah. Paris nobody has a French accent. In but Paris it's that and- it's also that weird thing that you only think about it when. <laughs> yeah. You kind of get removed a bit when there's an American who yeah. sounds very American. Yeah. And I'm looking right at you, Patrick, Patrick Knowles. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, that's the only time it occurs because if you get Brits yeah. or people, right. pre, or people yeah. like uh, there are other actors in the film who have a very clipped and distinct mm-hmm. way of speaking. Yeah. Yeah. And then it doesn't key that thing in my brain that makes me think you're not French. You yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's like there are a couple of actors in it who have a very dis- who have a very clipped and precise way of speaking mm-hmm. that does not make me think, oh, you're from yeah. Missouri. you're not you're from Missouri, yeah. you know. <laughs> but it's uh it's, it's it's that thing where you know Vincent Price could Vincent Price could pull off being mm-hmm. in a, in a film with nothing else but Brits, mm-hmm. and he would just be like, yep, he's just part of it. He's just part of it. Yeah. He's part of it. <laughs> and there are other actors too, and we'll yeah. talk about at least one of them in this picture who I think is fantastic, but. Mm-hmm. We'll, uh, we'll be back in a moment and we'll start talking about the mystery mm-hmm. of Mary Roger. Aren't TV movies fun? You see all these familiar faces, but doing really unfamiliar things. And I think that that's really exciting. And I think that's something important to the history of film in general. Join Amanda. There's a lot going on in that scene that is unspoken between two men. So I'm just telling you, I think there was a little Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> Dead. I think Therese is a little bipolar. Her voice, it goes from this sort of s- sexy, sensuous voice to, Okay, Ramsey, get out of here. <laughs> like, oh, and Nate. I love, you know, in like the late 70s, early 80s, the crazier a person got, the bigger their hair got. <laughs> As they discuss their favorite made-for-TV movies. Mr. Hazelrick. On the Made for TV Mayhem Show. This man came to see him. He never comes to see him at work. What kind of stories could he have to tell him? (laughs) Tales of his postal delivery. Here's what some people are saying about the Projection Booth podcast. The Projection Booth is single-handedly the greatest film podcast you could ever listen to or could possibly want. Top-notch. Five stars. This has quickly become one of my favorite film-related podcasts. Always interesting. A completely unpretentious yet fully comprehensive look at films from all genres. The Projection Booth Podcast, with new episodes available every week at projectionboothpodcast.com. That old lady was talking a lot of nonsense. You know, she ought to be in an asylum where she belongs. I mean it. Dites-moi ce qu'on sent quand on aime et ce plaisir à se tourner. 
Je suis tout le jour dans une peine extrême Et la nuit je ne sais comment Quel mal peut nous causer un amant Si quelqu'un près de nous soupire Que faut-il lui dire Un berger bien fait plus beau que l'amour Va donner un discret, me jurer l'autre jour qu'il m'aimait bien. Je ne dis rien, je ne dis rien, mais s'il revient encore, mon Dieu, que faire à Va donner discret, mesurer l'autre jour qu'il m'aimait bien. Je ne dis rien, oh, je ne dis rien, mais s'il revient encore, mon Dieu, que faire maman? The Mystery of Mary Roget, released April 23rd, 1942, running time of an hour and a single minute. <laughs> it, it, just out of curiosity. I hope, that, I hope that minute didn't take them over budget. <laughs> really? Well, I, here's the thing. I mean, I don't know exactly what the budget on this thing was, uh, but I will say that um, it has the sheen and the, 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 the prestige of mm. a film that's I mean, clearly they're using stuff that was made for yeah. bigger budgeted yeah, films. Yeah, stock sets. And, you know, I think those rooftops are the same ones we just watched probably the Frankenstein monster walk over in the last episode <laughs> and Ghost of Frankenstein are probably the same ones. I was going to say that they may be the same the same set that they ran across in Murders in the Room, Oregon, 1932, 10 yeah. years before. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but the, uh, the, the, the joys of this film, where you will find them, are going to be in how much you enjoy various actors... Because uh, by saying that it is an adaptation of an Edgar Allan Poe story, you shouldn't really get your hopes up because it's 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 a story that that it's not that they take liberties and therefore it's less interesting. It's that that what they've ended up doing is and this is understandable, mm-hmm. especially when you think about Hollywood and the way they do things. This is a the 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 mystery of Mary Roget was a story written by Poe as a sequel to The Murders mm-hmm. in the Rue Morgue. It has the same main character mm-hmm. of uh, Inspector Dupin. Well, yeah, Dupin. Dupin, yeah. who Dupin, in, in yeah. this the character is different than he was in Murders right. in the Rue Morgue by far, yeah. of course, played by a different actor. We're ten years along. Yeah. So, what might uh, be kind? To allow to allow Universal to talk a little bit more about the connection to Murders in the Room Morgue than maybe they should, because <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> mentioning at the beginning of the movie to yeah. kind of to kind of drive that point home mm-hmm. is probably a good idea. Mm-hmm. But then having him visit the <laughs> yeah the Room Morgue <laughs> the Room yeah. Morgue uh, like mortuary or not mortuary um, yeah 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 the, I guess uh, that's more yeah the, where the, the the place what the dead bodies is right at right right <laughs> to extract a brain which is interesting of itself. But uh, and having a full frame shot of the mm. the sign saying ah Rue Morgue so that you know once again <laughs> we're reminded sure we oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, this hey, is this is connected to Rue yeah. Morgue. 
it's an interesting film. It's more way more of a mystery movie than a mm-hmm. horror movie. Okay, so yeah. if you're going into this expecting uh, something along the lines of the uh, kind of fairly depraved pre-code <laughs> joys of uh, yeah, Murders no. in the Rue Morgue from 32, <laughs> you ain't going to get that. No. But there are joys to be had yeah, here. Yeah. They're they're different. Some would say mm-hmm. tamer rewards, mm-hmm. but it's not. This is not a bad film. Don't don't get me wrong by any stretch of the imagination. No, no, so. no. I don't think so. I mean, it's it's it's, it's definitely not. I did not wait. I didn't feel that hour of my life was wasted to watch it. You know. Oh I no, def- definitely it. not. Um, I love uh, I love films like this that start uh, in the way with just the turning of pages in a book you know it's like <laughs> well you even, I, pull, they even pull the book off the shelf off the shelf yeah. it's I love the fact that there was still there was, this was these films from this time when it was still important to Hollywood to stress the literary antecedent to a film yeah. to kind of give it a legitimacy you I know? and I, I don't envy the writer being given this story and say hey adopt this into a film that actually moves you know because if you read the original story Marie Roger <laughs> yeah you know, nothing happens in the story other than no. just Dupin showing how brilliant he is by just reading a newspaper article about, you know, and, and, and just kind of basically figuring it within out. him and his friend just sitting in a room, him just figuring out, you know, by getting all the other newspapers and putting things together and telling them here's what happened. But he never, nobody ever leaves the room. Nobody ever goes anywhere, does anything. It's all told it, that way. So, so, you know, you, 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 you know, you can't really fault. I, mean, I got to cut the writer a lot of slack for having to just take a few of these elements and just kind yeah. of run with them like a, an actual story. Well, you know? I would argue that it's probable that the person who wrote the script for this essentially rewatched Murders in the Room Orb, well, yeah. the, the 32 yeah, right. film, and went, yeah. okay, that's my template. Yeah, yeah. I mean, down to the fact that the most exciting part of this movie is exactly the, is, is the ending, and it's yeah. exactly the same ending. <laughs> yes, it is. That, they, that Universal concocted for Murders in the Room Orb, which is a rooftop chase. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, in both instances, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, granted, Murders in the Room Orgs was done at night. Yeah. And this one is done in a much brighter setting. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's one of those things where you're like, it's the same ending, folks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it really is the same ending. <laughs> but to be honest, it's exciting. It is. It's a nice finale. I like, I love the whole rooftop shots. I love stuff shot like that in these little movies there where they use, you yep. know, a combination of rooftops and, and matte paintings and, and miniatures and things to kind of convey cityscapes you know or the types of old cities it looks great so it's like i say usually when you when you when you say edgar Allan poe mm. we all know we're, we're, all of us get yeah. especially yeah. in if you're if you're a horror fan of a certain yeah. age what you're mm. picturing are the corman poe films yeah. these yeah. colorful horror exercises where mm-hmm. you know brilliant screenwriters like uh you know richard matheson and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, they essentially took these tales mm-hmm. and concocted something cinematic and something a little bit larger than yeah. you would have expected otherwise. And often pulled elements from other Poe stories yeah. to put into one, you know, to put in the particular one they were named after, you know, just pulling out, you know, hey, let's get somebody buried alive. Let's get, you know, well, you know, we'll have Hop Frog or whatever in here. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. we'll take Master of Red Death and we'll to... shove Hop Frog into the yeah. center of yeah. it. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. There's all kinds of joyous things like that, which is what makes those Corman Poe films endlessly fun is mm-hmm. that, yeah, 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 several of them are, are you know, essentially variations on a theme. But once they started playing around, once they realized, I think <laughs> past the first mm-hmm. two, mm-hmm. you're just like, oh, hey, so yeah, Poe is our basis, but we're, we're going to add a lot of filigree or we're going to find yeah. other elements to bring into these things because mm-hmm. we need to make it cinematic. And the more cinematic we make it, the better off we are. And besides, 
we can slap Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe's name on any yeah. freaking thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. Which is what they were doing by the time they got to uh-huh. to the end of the, you know, to, to, by the time they got to the end of things, almost everybody was attempting to claim that whatever <laughs> horror movie they'd made right then was, yeah. you know, it's based on Edgar Allan Poe, inspired by Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> we're pretty sure that the toenail clippings of Edgar Allan Poe were somewhere near the man's, the man's desk when he wrote <laughs> this idea. Yeah. Like, if no, Edgar Allan Poe had lived another 30 years, maybe he would have written something like this. You know? It's possible that this was something that Edgar Allan Poe might have thought about during a delirium. It's like, no, I don't think that's what that is. I was thinking, like, I'm dreaming some shit up now. You know, until, until yeah. we, I mean, we got to a point in the late 60s, early 70s, where mm. they were doing Lovecraft stories and saying, mm. Edgar yeah. Allan Poe's. Yeah, you know, right. Whatever. And it's like, no, Edgar Allan Poe didn't have anything to do with the Haunted Palace. I got news for you right yeah. now, folks. Not... Know what the conqueror worm either. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. you, just the poem. You just use the poem, and we'll yeah <laughs> slap that on the front of it, and we'll go. Hey, see, Poe, aren't we happy now? <laughs> so, what we have here is uh, one of Poe's mystery tales. Mm-hmm. Poe, who pretty much invented the genre. Oh yeah, to, yeah, exactly. And it, see, August Dupin was the pretty much the prototype of the the cla- of the, the the detective, brilliant detective. Exactly, and and if you were to come up with a short list of actors that you could picture playing him, I guarantee you Patrick Knowles would not be on there. Nothing against Patrick Knowles act, as, as an actor, but no. he's about the most American vanilla actor you could possibly have gotten to play that, that role. You know? I agree. I, I will say this. I think he does as good a job as he could do I in think this so. role. Yeah. And, he, and he, he's far from bad. No, yeah, yeah, he's not. But at the same time... That I I have to say I, I constantly feel I won't say constantly that's a bit much. There are two or three points in the movie where I kept thinking, you know, a more British mm. and, and I know that's just wrong because I'm an American and it, and this is these people are supposed to be French and so therefore it's just that thing that the yeah. British accent yeah. does to my voice, which is to just leap over. Basically, if I hear a British accent, I think Europe. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, that's that's what my brain does. It's been mm. trained that way. I mm. can't stop it. That's the way it is. So well, and also a, a, a you know, Dupin really you picture somebody more kind of more erasable and uh, um, yeah and uh, uh, arrogant and brusque and you know because that's another way that Dupin's kind of the model for the detectives that later come because he lacks doesn't necessarily have the greatest people skills. You know, he's 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 yeah. you know he's not actually the warmest you know human being, uh, and uh, and doesn't suffer fools gladly you know whereas but I think you get Patrick Knowles and they're already thinking romantic lead so they give him a much softer you know uh, gallant kind of personality. Well, I'm just yeah. always reminded of the first place I ever saw him, which is in the Errol Flynn uh, Robin Hood film, The Adventures of Robin Hood. Oh god, yeah, from a couple that's years right. before. I forgot that he's in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it's sure like, was. I mean, he's. Uh, I think. I think he plays Will Scarlet. He, yes, he got. I forgot about that. Yeah. And it's just uh. that thing is like, no. Every time I see him now, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it's Will Scarlet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not, I'm not thinking he's he's yeah. Dupin. I'm yeah. thinking this is Will Scarlet. I'm yeah. sorry, that's what he is. <laughs> Even though he'd been in, he'd been in uh, just he'd just been in a couple of uh, earlier. Uh, Universal Horror. Well, Wolfman, I mean. the Wolfman. Yeah, yeah Wolfman. Yeah. Still, I, I still, once again, he's one of those American actors in these movies that just yeah. rings as an American. Yeah. I almost want to see this movie, you know, dubbed into Spanish with English subtitles <laughs> to give me a, so that I can sink a little easier into what is going on That's here. That's a good point, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, as strange as that may sound, I know, I know. Or if they just release it with a French French language soundtrack, and I guess that would be that'd be perfect. <laughs> well, that would be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say I uh, would like to say that uh, 
as, as weird as this may sound, the original story was actually based, Poe based it on a real, mm-hmm. re, a real life murder of a New York, a New York girl, Mary Cecilia Rogers, whose body had been found floating in the Hudson River. Poe just took that story and he mirrored the particulars of the case pretty hard in his story, mm-hmm. changed the names of the principals and the, and the area where it took place, of course, added a few minor details here and there. And so when we end up with this movie uh, adapting the story, uh, they make their own changes, of course. Mm-hmm. And the most interesting one, and the one that is 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 probably a good move, is they move the uh, the time period up to 1889, primarily so that they can actually dredge a body out of the uh, the river. Uh, a body gets dumped in a river at one point, and the only really good way to be able to do this is if you have you know you have the technology to be able to send somebody down in one of those heavy you know bell yeah. uh, breathing apparatuses. Yeah. So 1889, let's push it to that period instead of mm. earlier in the 1800s, yeah. so that we can have that happen. But other than that, this pretty much sticks to what I would think of as exactly what you'd expect from Universal in the 40s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It uh, has some uh, some gruesome stuff that is always kept, of course, away from the camera. Yeah. The the details of the murders mm-hmm. are a little gruesome, just mm-hmm. like they were in Murders in the Rue Morgue ten years before. But the thing about Murders in the Rue Morgue made in the pre-code era is that we have this ability yeah. to show on yeah. screen at the time some of the nastier stuff and to also have Bela Lugosi's character in that movie be... Pretty nasty, yeah, exactly. In a lot yeah. of different ways. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to get a half nude woman strung up on a cross yeah. in this movie. No, no. All of the nastiness is going to be verbally described to you mm-hmm. instead of uh, you know shoved in front of a camera. And uh, in a lot of ways, that's probably a pretty good thing, considering that uh, the 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 element that I think that they needed to hide from the camera is uh, something that I don't know how they would have uh, how it would have flown in the '40s, no matter what. Which is, of course, mm. mutilated female faces. Yeah. Know, and so yeah. yeah. Pretty probably a, an understandable thing. Yeah. A report just came in: a woman's body has been found in the river, believed to be Marie Roger. The body's at the wharf below the second bridge. Good, good. Marie Roger, you see, we found her. I told you we would. Why are you so sure it's Marie Roger? Well, that's easily decided, monsieur. You yourself can identify her. Will you come with us now? Right away? Well, why not right away? I'll come along. Steady, monsieur. Can you identify the body? I... I don't know. It's about the same size as Marie Roger, the same shaped head and color hair. Does it look familiar, monsieur? Yes. Yes, it must be she. But it has no face. Who could have done it, Dupin? It's the work of a fiend. Or a beast. Looks as if the face had been torn to a pulp by the claws of an animal. Incredible. Well, the story of this movie opens up in 1889 Paris, as we've already spoken about, where musical comedy star Marie Roger has been missing for 10 days. There's a huge public commotion over this unexplained disappearance, and uh, the prefect of police, uh, uh, Goblin... Mm -hmm. Who I think hapless hapless is the only word I think that describes that we can use to describe. He is hapless, but I I love the character. We'll get to that. Mm -hmm is being harangued by uh, 
by a character named Henry Bouvet, Bouvet played by uh, John mm-hmm. Lytle, mm-hmm. who's a friend of the Roger family, and he's just giving the prefect of police pure hell because she's been missing for 10 days and he wants to know why the cops have not located this woman. He mm-hmm. is he is pissed about this. He threatens to take uh, uh, Goblin off the case, which I, I guess it means that he can somehow override this later on in the film. We actually find out that uh, uh, Beauvais is actually uh, the head of the, uh, the Naval Commission. Yes, right. So he can override mm-hmm. him, and at a certain point in the movie, he actually does right. to remove a body from the police's uh, from the police's custody. Mm-hmm. They're the, the two of them have decided that something's going to going to have to be done. And uh, in the same scene, we're introduced to Lup- uh, to uh, our main our quote unquote main character, which is Doctor Paul Dupin, mm-hmm. uh, who in this story, instead of being just a, mm-hmm. a in, in Merge in the Rumor of the Tenure, the mm-hmm. ten-year-old film. Mm-hmm. He's a medical student in this. Mm-hmm. He's a medical officer, the head medical office in the uh, for the Paris police. Well, the prefect of police and Goblin, uh, Goblin I'm sorry, Go, and Goblin and Beauvais decide that they're going to have to go and, and do something about this. And at that time, actually, a body, a dead woman, is found in the river. Mm-hmm. And uh, although the face is mutilated. Beauvais believes it has to be Marie. Mm-hmm. He doesn't, you know, provide any specific yeah. identifying factor, but it just seems from the clothing that this woman probably is Marie Roget. So the two of them go to the family of Marie Roget, which consists of uh, Marie's grandmother, uh, Madame Cecile Roget, played by yeah. Maria Ospenskaya. Yes. Who's, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, she's like the lucky charm of uh, <laughs> universal horror films in a weird way. <laughs> Uh, and uh, Marie's younger sister, Camille. Mm-hmm. And as they're just about to drop this bomb into the laps of mm-hmm. these poor people, yeah. that uh, they found Marie's dead body, Marie pops up and just yeah. walks back into the house, mm-hmm. uh, refusing to say where she's been. I mean, she's mm-hmm. been gone for almost two weeks and mm-hmm. just walks in and goes, yep, yep, yep. And, of course, mm-hmm. the prefect of police is... Demands of her, where you know, where have you been? Everyone is, everyone has been, all of the entire city's been in an uproar. Where have mm-hmm. you been? And uh, she gets very haughty about it. She says, "I'm not have to explain to you where I've been. It's nobody's business but mine." Mm-hmm. She's very much the diva there, and she's, you know, she's, yes. a, I guess, a musical in this movie. She's uh, uh, a music star. Music, yes, yes, uh, yes a yes, music yes. and stage star. Right, right, right. And well, I guess this is the time to talk about the actress who plays the character yeah, yeah. of Marie Roger. Yeah. Uh, that would be uh, Maria Montez, mm-hmm. who I'll have to admit, uh, I've seen her in a number of movies, and I didn't know that much about, but she is yeah. a very fascinating lady. Uh, yeah, um, the Caribbean Cyclone, they called her, was her nickname. <laughs> a hot-blooded Latin seductress. <laughs> by, by, she, she became eventually known as the Queen of Technicolor, because she, the, 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 num- the, the number of, of Technicolor films she appeared in the 1940s, of course, all of these after mm-hmm. the period of time when she made this movie. So this is uh, one of the early attempts to find a role for her that uh, would either turn her into a star or get her out in front of the public in a much more interesting way. She was never really happy with what they did with her in the first place. And although very talented, I don't know that uh, she had a tendency to rub people the wrong way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and did you read about her death? Yeah, yeah, yeah age 39, was, man. Yeah, she died very early. She died, she died in 1951 
She supposedly had a heart attack in her bathtub. Yeah, which which mm, seems a little. Look, yeah, I think the say, speculation yeah. is yeah maybe it might have been a suicide possibly or or I, something I, else you know possibly so maybe. who knows. It's just with with all the bullshit that gets thrown up around different uh, de- different odd yeah. deaths in Hollywood. Yeah. The fact that there hasn't been, you know, I don't some kind of mini series. <laughs> yeah, right. About the death of Maria Montez really shocks the shit out of me. Yeah, I know that is. Um, and and I gotta tell you, I, I, uh, to me, she's the best thing in this movie. I mean, I, I, I you know, not that I don't like other things in the movie, but I was really. I thought she's terrific in this. You know, I thought I, I, I think um, she really just commands the screen when she's got an incredible presence. Well, I agree and, with that. And, yeah. and I think that um, I actually, even though I realize her character exiting the screen, the film early is is key to the plot. I actually was really sorry to see her go. You know, because I was enjoying <laughs> the character so much. Well, remember she had a small role in The Invisible Woman. Yeah, yeah, which we and, covered. But yeah. I mean, it, I don't think she made any kind of real impression on us at the time. No, uh, we'll Not, see her. I think we'll see her at least one more time. Uh, yeah. Uh, what is it? We'll see. Her? Cobra Woman, I believe, is it? Oh, that's right. She's in Cobra Woman. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, okay. But she's a, definitely an interesting woman, and you're right. She's incredibly photogenic. There's mm-hmm. something about her face that the mm-hmm. camera loved, mm-hmm. and uh, she. She does kind of command your attention mm-hmm. when the opportunity for the story to focus on her is there. Yeah, uh, I will say that at least she has an accent. Yes, and that probably that helps. Yes, that she does actually. Yeah, I, I think at some point they call her and Camille her half sister. I think at some point in the film, yeah, which I guess know. sort of is a way of description. You know, to explain the reason why these two girls don't talk in slightly, well, or not slightly, don't seem like sisters at all. So, yeah. Let's think about this for a second. <laughs> Maria Ospinskaya is her grandmother. Yeah. Yeah. Who yeah. sounds like what she is. Right. A yeah. freaking Russian. Right, right. <laughs> Maria Montez was it was from the Dominican Republic. Yeah. And sounds, sounds like, like yes. it. <laughs> and in between them yeah. is this American woman, yeah. Camille. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> to the point where, you know, yeah. as a fan mm-hmm. of these types of movies where there's this, I mean, it takes place in France. Mm-hmm. So, hey, Russian grandmother, got mm-hmm. it, not a problem, willing to roll. Yeah. Whatever weird ass accent this is, I'm willing to pretend it's French. Yeah. Really, well, I'll, I'll go along with that. Yeah. Sure, we, yeah. we, can, we can do sure. that. <laughs> This would have been the point at which they went to the actress playing Camille and, and said, "No, no, no, we're gonna we're gonna have you speak with a slight accent as well, so that people don't go, she's adopted, right? Yeah, <laughs> she's adopted. Yeah. She's not. She's got to be right. Yeah, not. right. <laughs> but no, no. I, I want to emphasize. I don't want to. I don't want to keep talking about this mm. as, uh, as much as I'm obviously talking about this." Mm. Because these these accent these weird accent things that I'm I'm, I'm coming back to again and again and again they don't really interfere with my enjoyment of these no, no, at all. No, no, it's just that because I want to I, I go through them again and yeah, again. Yeah, it, I start to question my own responses to mm-hmm. things, and mm-hmm. I do wonder mm-hmm. a lot of the time with different movies why didn't mm-hmm. that ring untrue or how did it not ring untrue? Yeah. In, on my ear. Yeah. When watching this the first time. Yeah. And like I say, a lot of it is just, I've, I've begun to examine how if it is a British accent, I'll just accept it as any European accent. It doesn't really freaking matter. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and there's certain actors that 
it doesn't matter what's going on with them. If you if I hear Peter Laurie, hmm. essentially Peter Laurie can be any damn thing. Yeah, I right. Don't, yeah. Which which is bizarre because there's a series of eight movies where he's Japanese, <laughs> yeah. which makes zipoid sense. <laughs> but uh, I I let's let's talk about Marie Montez's voice, not her accent, but her voice. Mm-hmm. Now she does not sing the her singing in this movie. She sings her character sings in yeah. the movie. But she's dubbed by a different uh, vocalist. Mm. Yeah. So it's not her voice when she's singing. Right. But her voice, she's got a great voice. There, yeah, the, she does. The, the, the whole, even when she's not playing up the, her sexiness with her voice, when the dialogue has absolutely nothing to do with it, and she's not attempting to be coquettish or, or, mm. or uh, you know, uh, lascivious in any way, she's very sexy just in the tone of her voice and the way she uses it mm-hmm. so yeah I can understand I mean it, it didn't, I've never thought of her when watching this movie as my favorite aspect of the film mm-hmm. but I can see why that she would be mm-hmm. uh, My, I gotta be honest my favorite character in the film is uh, the prefect of police I love the actor mm-hmm. and, and I love he, his portrayal and he's a good example of what you're talking about like even though he doesn't speak with a French accent. He's he's he just he looks like a little French like yes. bureaucrat or something. I mean, he looks like a little French like you would picture. I mean, physically, you know, he, he looks exactly he gets, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and also he speaks with a very clipped mm-hmm. and precise yeah. way of speaking, mm-hmm. and therefore I automatically accept him as mm-hmm. whatever nationality they're going to place him within mm-hmm. in the body of the film. He almost it's, speaks like someone who would be speaking English as a second language. They're speaking it as a as a. Yeah, being precise about their enunciation, yeah. you who's can clear, yeah, 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 who's clearly fluent in the language, yeah. but for whom it was a learned language instead yeah. of one that mm-hmm. he grew up with. Yeah. So yeah, I yeah, and it's um, it's things like that that make his performance. Well, it's not just that. I I, I love his I love his character. I love that he is this incredibly put. He's never. The movie never takes comedic shots at the prefect. Exactly, he's kind of the he's kind of the comic character, but without being. They don't go to those extremes that bug us sometimes about these films right. when they exaggerate the comedy. There is not. It's it's, not it's, there. it's never exaggerated. All the comedy feels real. Yeah. Because the comedy is not the the kind of oh, let's yeah. laugh at the doofus fuck. Mm-hmm. That's not what any of this is. What we're dealing with here is a, a character who is intellectually outmatched mm-hmm. by Dupin. Mm-hmm. But who is friendly with Dupin? These two characters like each other. And These people are yeah. friends, and he's also socially uh, outcast from so many people he has to deal with. He's constantly put yeah. these situations with these people who are just consider themselves incredibly, above his class, yeah, and they're so condescending, wealthy. and yeah. they're just, yeah. and in a sense, his authority almost has no like. They just they you can t- you tell they all of them just feel themselves kind of above even his. His authority, you know, yeah. like he has no real authority, and so they look down scenes. on yeah. him, it's, yeah. and it's very yeah. clear from the moment yeah. that uh, I mean, from the the, the scene where uh, Marie Roger returns, mm-hmm. and her entire reaction to this person in the room with her, the prefect of police, is just, "Oh, who are you?" Mm-hmm. As mm-hmm. if, "Oh, mm-hmm. how how interesting!" Like she's discovered yeah. a new bug under glass. Yeah. You know, oh, who is this? Yeah, who are you? And when he tells when he tells yeah. her, she's completely dismisses him, and, mm-hmm. walk, and, and it's not mm-hmm. even a concern to her. Yeah, and part of that is instructive of the kind of character that she yeah. is. But a, yeah. another part of it is just the way he's treated mm-hmm. by everyone. Because yeah. later in the movie, when uh, the grandmother character. Mm-hmm. Call uh, has called uh, Dupin back because she wants him. She wants to pay him a, a, a large sum of money mm-hmm. to keep an eye on Camille for her at mm-hmm. a particular party. 
Dupin does not come along alone like he was requested mm. and brings the prefect of police with him. And the grandmother character played by Maria Osmanskaya makes it very clear. I told you to come alone. I didn't tell you to bring him. Yeah, yeah. And Dupin stands up and goes, no, I brought him along for a reason. He's here. Mm-hmm. And if you want to talk to me about whatever it is you want to talk about, you're going to talk in front of him as well. Mm-hmm. So did you notice what the relationship between the two of them really kind of is? Well, I'll say that that I appreciated more the second time around viewing their relationship than I did the first time through. The first time through, what I'm noticing is the old uh, detective story convention where the detective has to continually hold all the information himself and not let the police or whoever his sidekick is in on it um, because the reason is because the writer is having to hold that back from the, the audience, audience yeah. but it ends up making the the detective a lot of times uh, uh, frustratingly, you know, obtuse. You know, he's like, uh, and in this case, my first time viewing through, I thought that that continual thing of him not telling, you know, go down any, or, or go go. I'm sorry, go blind, go, go blind. Anything, you know, was getting to the point of pushing the the boundaries of believability. You know, the second time through. He even says at some point, I start picking up on more of the things he's saying and realizing that a lot of uh, that the way the writer anyway is trying to explain him doing this is because Goblin is such a um, kind of bull in the china shop type of character that he's afraid, Dupin's afraid that the more if he gives him information, he's going to screw everything up because he's going to kind of rush in and even does it at one point in the film where he charges in before Dupin's really ready for him to reveal what he knows. And so he's kind of afraid the Goblin's going to spoil the game before, you know, they can can ensnare the killer. So it made a little more sense to me the second time through, or I think that the writer explained it or set it up a little better. I think it is something that is, is there in the dialogue, and it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely there in the performances. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's, it, it may be a, a, a very much close viewing of the film the first mm-hmm. time through or a second yeah. viewing where you're able to mm-hmm. not because you're the first time through in this movie your major thought is going to be where's well, it going next yeah, what, who's, the, yeah. who's the murderer right. who's the murderer who's the murderer yeah but what i was alluding to earlier was the idea that uh, these two characters really are holmes and watson oh well yeah sure i mean yeah you're right I, I, that's a good yeah. be a point but i can see what you're saying yeah but that's that's definitely that kind of dynamic for the going for yeah it's, it's that dynamic and it seems very much I mean, we're not very far away from uh, Universal starting their very long-running and incredibly successful series of Sherlock Holmes pictures. And that's interesting that this film did happen before those. Yeah. It's interesting that they're almost kind of already playing with the dynamic that maybe they would influence the way that they gave us what a lot of people think was the classic version of, of Holmes and Watson is a sense of Watson being something, you know, more of a bumbler in a sense, you know, yeah. you know, which is not what he was in the stories, of course, but he is in become, that's what people begin to think of or pictured for years as Holmes and, and Watson, their yeah. dynamic there. And there's a little bit of that here, but once again, I, I would say that once again, this character isn't Oh, he's not, not Bruce. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, yeah, he's, he's not, right. he's not a fool, right? but the, the takeaway that some people might have on first viewing mm. is to think of him as a fool because he is incorrect at a mm. couple of very specific mm. points in the story. And him being incorrect is what drives the story in a certain direction. Yeah. And so, you know, is I hate to say it, but the, a couple of times when he is specifically wrong, 
he's wrong so that the movie can advance to the next plot point. Yeah, yeah. and uh, th- that of course means that what you're getting is a a view <laughs> of a view of this particular character as someone mm-hmm. who is a bit of a bumbler. Yeah, but the character is played so straight and without any type of without any playing up. I mean, this mm-hmm. is you know this is this isn't the guy who's gonna you know end up getting a pie in his face. Right. This is this is not a ridiculous character, and so. I thought it was interesting to see the, the Holmes-Watson dynamic kind of set in place right here, just kind of like 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 you say, it's like yeah. oh, this, you know, just a little bit of a, a taste of it. This is this is mm. really kind of the same thing, and then that would be for a run of you know a run of those Sherlock Holmes films. That would be what they play into. They lean into heavier and heavier depending on what the the needs of the story may be. Mm-hmm. But you can see the start the start of it for Universal in a lot of ways, kind of right here. Isn't it a beautiful day, Dupin? For what? Oh, for love. Uh, take Camille, for instance. Oh, stop it, Gobelin. Tell me, what makes you so chipper? My friend, I am about to put the finishing touches to the most fantastic crime of the century, the mystery of Marie Roger. Well, that's great. Now, these crusts you asked me to analyze, they're definitely... Now, uh, wait a minute. Let me tell you this time. Human blood, huh? How did you know? My dear chap, that is the solution of the crime. Oh, that's very interesting. You don't believe me, huh? Well, listen to this. The curator of the zoo received a gift this morning from Madame Roger, a leopard. That's good. Don't you see? She has no more use for the beast. She used it to kill Marie. Now, by her own admission, she was afraid that Marie was going to kill Camille for the money. The mutilated body? You yourself said that it was the work of an animal. I merely said it could have been. However, in this case, I'm sure that it was work of a human animal. A human animal? Are you sure? Quite. Oh, this is a wretched day. Oh, by the way, my friend, Beauvais is furious. Someone broke into the morgue last night and stole the brain from Marie's body. Now, you wouldn't know anything about that, would you? Well, we had to have it. Oh, Dupin, this is infamous. Oh, come, come now. You were on your way to arrest Madame Roger. Don't let me distract you. Do you mind if I come with you? Well, I don't want to. But if it was a human and... Come along, then. Oh, Dupin, really. I had the whole thing. Well, as we said, when Marie kind of bustles in and, and, mm. and explains that she's not going to tell anybody where the hell she's been for the past 10 or 11 days, uh, she she dresses down uh, Gobland, the prefect of police, and uh, Bove asks the inspector to leave the house and to just drop the whole matter entirely. Now, Camille, the uh, the sister of Marie, in the next sequence, kind of he beca- she becomes engaged to her, her beau, her, her boyfriend, her, her love, uh, Marcel, mm-hmm. played by Edward Norris who's a young man attached to the Ministry of Naval Affairs. He has been gone for the past two weeks uh, because his work for the Ministry of Naval Affairs, apparently, he, at the drop of a hat, he can be told he's got to go somewhere. Yeah. And he, he doesn't have time to do anything other than just go and do it, and he doesn't necessarily know when he'll get back. But what the film immediately reveals to us, as soon as it can, is that secretly Marie... And Marcel are lovers, mm-hmm. and they've been away. Obviously, been away for these ten days together, yeah. Yeah. having a little tryst quietly yeah. wherever they have been off to. We're never actually told where they went. We just yeah. assume that it's probably somewhere outside Paris, and they, yeah. you know, someplace out of view, so that the f- very famous actress and singer will not be noticed or or, <laughs> or recognized while she she romps sexually with her <laughs> boyfriend. <laughs> 
uh, I did think it funny. Okay, the, when the movie opens, mm-hmm. it opens with the uh, you know uh, the newspaper guy hawking the the, oh, the right. newspaper, talking about how yeah Marie Roger is gone, you know, yeah. still missing, and been gone for ten days, and we see these two people. Uh, this couple uh, mm-hmm. under I think, uh, like standing standing over a newspaper as they walk away from getting a newspaper, and the the woman of the couple actually says, "I'm sure uh, she's probably away with one of her lovers." And it's just like, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> that's what it turns out to be. Was, that lady was right. She should have been paying attention that little yeah, bit. Of yeah, she, she was, was telling us right. She there. was telling you right. She's telling you in the yeah. first four lines of dialogue <laughs> in the entire movie. It's like there you go. Well. Uh, well, since well, secretly Marie and Marcel are lovers, and they are plotting to murder Camille, uh, and then in this, in this scene right before this, Mar- Marcel and uh, Camille uh, have decided they were they were they seem to have been debating either eloping or just deciding to get married, and you mm-hmm. know right right there in front of it, you know do, to do it normally, and they decide that they're going to be married. And so they they tell Marie, and Marie covers pretty well the fact yeah. that this is gonna yeah. this, this pisses her off. But as soon as she can get Marcel alone, she starts haranguing him. Yeah. Going, what the fuck is wrong with you, asshole? Mm-hmm. And this is when it all comes out mm-hmm. that Camille is about to come of age, and she's going to receive her inheritance from her late grandfather, which is about a million and a half francs. Yeah. Which is no matter how many jokes I want to make about francs, <laughs> that's a shit ton of money. Yeah, especially yeah. in eighteen eighty nine. Yeah. So the idea is to kill Camille, mm-hmm. and then the fortune will go to Marie, mm-hmm. and then the lovers Marcel and Marie will mm-hmm. jaunt off yeah. together, happily wealthy and none the worse for wear. But of course, but beware of little Russian women because. <laughs> They move very quietly and how did she how is she so quiet coming downstairs like, with two canes? I know she could probably even sneak up on her pet leopard, you know. Was, uh, <laughs> yeah, we haven't even gotten to the pet, leopard, pet leopard. What the hell? Okay, anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Honestly, they might as well have painted a red herring on the side yes, of the pet they leopard. Sure, That's yeah, exactly sure. all the, the, the leopard exists to be is a red herring. Yeah. That's all it is. But their plan is to uh, the that the uh, the next night at this big party, the day before she becomes before she uh, inherits. Their plan is to kill Camille. Now they don't give us any details about how they're supposedly going to kill Camille. And yeah. once we get down to the nitty gritty, where they're trying to figure out when they're at the party and they're talking yeah. about doing this mm. and they're talking amongst themselves. I don't know if they, I mean, they seem to have thought that what they were going to do was like somehow like strangle her and dump her in the river. Yeah. Because the party takes place right next to the river. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, but we never get, I never had a firm grasp (laughs) on how these two people thought they were going to do this. Yeah. And then, you know, get away with it to a degree. I mean, clearly if they could do this slickly enough, nobody would know who, you know, Mm. where she went or Mm. whatever. And she would have just disappeared. But... That doesn't seem real likely. Yeah. And by waiting this late in the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, because his, I love, uh, Marcel's entire concept with pretending that he's going to marry Camille God. is that well, I would never be suspected because we're not married yet. Yeah. And it's like, that's actually pretty clever. I got to yeah. give him that yeah. because he's not going to collect a nickel mm-hmm. because she's dead, mm-hmm. which is true. But how long after that are you going to hide the fact that hot-blooded older sister here is jumping your bones? Yeah. Especially once y'all, you know, exchange rings. Mm. Well, there's another part of, well, there's, 
there's another part of Marcel's plan that I don't know was particularly realistic, but we'll get to that here shortly. And by the <laughs> way, folks, we're I think we are going to spoil this, so we should yes. state that we probably are going to go ahead and go through this whole film to the ending. Uh, so just so you know, if you want to, you may want to watch the film first if you haven't already before listening to us. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we re- we realized that this uh, nearly eighty year old movie, it's <laughs> yeah. an hour and a minute long. Yeah, you just if you can set that time aside, you know, take the weekend off, you know. Send the wife and kids out to the country or something, you know, exactly. and take a, take it to watch this movie. <laughs> settle it, settle in. It's 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 the it's the equivalent of 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 four two thousand ones or or five Lawrence of Arabia's or I don't know, you know, something along those lines. So so we are going to spoil this movie before it's over with, but we'll get to we'll get to your 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 questions about this particular okay. Okay. pod plan that they have here. Okay. Not that, I, not that I don't think that it could have worked. Yeah, and, and yeah, I agree. I mean, so, yeah. <laughs> but at any rate, yeah, the, the grandmother character definitely overhears the two of them conspiring and talking about the fact that I don't ever plan to marry her. It's just it's a really good way to make sure I'm not under suspicion when we fucking kill her tomorrow night. <laughs> and it's like, oh. And the grandmother hears this, which is why the next day, uh, she the, the grandmother character does not... Uh, divulge that she has overheard them talking about killing Camille at the, uh, this, the this big party for the next night. So she sends for Dupin and offers him 50,000 francs to act as Camille's bodyguard at this party. And she flat out tells Dupin, this is the scene where he brings along a prefect of police, go, go, go yeah. on, and, and yeah. <laughs> we have that, like I say, this every scene between uh, Dupin and uh, the prefect of police, I, I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. I think those two yeah. actors are very good they together. Are. Yeah, But she flat out tells him, look, I, I I, know for a fact that someone's going to try to com- kill Camille at this party, and I want you there as her bodyguard to make sure it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. That's all she'll say. Mm-hmm. She won't say how she knows this, who she thinks is trying to kill her, anything like that. Clearly, she's playing her cards close to her mm-hmm. vest because she does not want to put her... She doesn't want to put the other yeah. member of her family in a position where she's going to go to prison yeah. when this doesn't come off. She's yeah. obviously got some plan in her head that she's going to, after this does not come off by having Dupin intervene, she's going to have some words with mm. the sister. She's going yeah. to have some words with Marie Roger. Well, Dupin resists the offer until Camille walks into the room. And at that point, he suddenly decides, you know, mm. I'm willing to accept the position. And any other position that Camille <laughs> might be willing to put me in. Yeah, exactly. That is a great, you know, <laughs> like, own second thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a surprising twist. He might as well just, his eyes might as well just popped out of his, you know, stalks or whatever yeah, out there, yeah, you know, yeah. just a big horn sound, you know. Like a Tex Avery, <laughs> might as well have just turned into a Tex Avery yeah. character at that moment. So. Auga. Auga, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> Uh, in, a, in, a, in a surprising twist, it's Marie and not Camille who disappears from the party. Yeah, yeah, she's just gone. We uh, mm-hmm. we actually hear her. Yeah, we well actually we see someone's hands come through the bushes and grab her by the throat and pull her into the bushes and her scream mm-hmm. and then she's gone. Mm-hmm. Well, what's happened? Mm-hmm. Has she trotted off like the rest of the public thinks with yet another lover for an unexpected two or three week excursion into <laughs> into lust land or what well uh, probably not like the unfortunate mystery girl from the opening reel mm-hmm. where we you know the the dead body that was with found the in the faceless river, dead body we didn't bring that up we forgot to bring that up 
the dead body that was found earlier that at first the, the prefect yeah. of police mm-hmm. thought was Marie mm-hmm. Roger's dead body mm-hmm. uh, is of a uh, is of a woman of of a similar age but no one knows who she is because her face has mm-hmm. been well first there was no identification on the body whatsoever yeah. and also her face had been ripped to shreds yeah. she was just completely unidentifiable yeah. perhaps as though by a leopard oh <laughs> I told you it was a red herring already yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, like the unfortunate, you know, scratched-faced mm. dead girl from the opening reel, her body is later dredged out of the river. This is the sequence in which they've been using cannon fire into the river, trying to bring up the the, the body that they think has to have been in the river because it's nowhere else. Yeah. And that's when Dupin intervenes and goes, no, 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 you need to get somebody in a diving helmet and get them down in this area right here, and we'll, mm. fig- we'll find the body if we're going to find the body. Mm. And uh, they do find the body. And uh, the face is once again horribly mangled, so unidentifiable. But it has to be Marie. There's really mm-hmm. no two ways about it. There are other things that, that mm-hmm. the, the clothing she's in is the same clothing that Marie Roger yeah. was in. So this is definitely her. So this is when Maria Montez mm-hmm. exits the film. She, Missed you. We hardly knew you, Maria. Sorry to see you. Again. Run, run off to Technicolor. Make movies with Cebu. So, yeah, <laughs> which is exactly what happens. Yeah. So. Now, um, I think earlier in the film we have the scene. I think it's in the Rue Morgue, right? It, where is is that where the um, is that where it's just kind of all in shadows and a figure yeah. comes into? That's for the first body, right? Comes into it, um, or is that Maria's Marie's body? Now I'm trying to remember where that scene is. I think is. it actually was Marie's body. So it's after this. Yeah. Then we okay. The only reason I'm saying is because there's there's a couple there's a there's a couple of scenes in the movie that kind of make a little concession to trying to pass itself off as a horror film, and that's because yeah. we get a couple of scenes in the film where shadowy phantom like figures sort of stalk through, you know, creep through windows into dark in our rooms and that's sort yep. of our, our, our little with their part. With their faces hidden. hidden. Exactly. So, anyway. So so they try to add some chiller elements to this yeah. Yeah. to, to yeah. kind of up the uh, the horror ratio mm-hmm. a little bit because primarily this is really just a mystery. Yeah. Yeah. So adding what they can around the edges is really all they can do. Yeah. Well, uh, after a little bit more mystery, mystery-laden exposition, Marcel confesses to the murder of Marie, mm-hmm. claiming to have killed her to protect Camille. Mm-hmm. Now, Dupin, convinced that Marcel is banking on a verdict of justifiable homicide because he was protecting his fiance, yeah. forces the prefect of police to drop the charges, which really pisses the judge off, by the way. And Marcel. <laughs> yeah, and pisses Marcel off, too. To, to gets him to drop the charges until they can prove premeditation on Marcel's part. Yeah. Because he's convinced that Marcel did kill Marie, but that what he's trying to do now is set himself up to be let off. Yeah, and that's the part of Marcel's plan that I'm not sure totally holds water because I'm thinking about now, I'm not familiar with universal land law, but, <laughs> but, but I'm sitting there thinking, you know, because they're talking about, you know, when he and... Goblin are, are talking about the the you know what Marcel's plan is, and he says, "What's going to happen if Marcel goes to trial?" He goes, "Oh well, he's obviously going to be exonerated." It's like I'm thinking, really? Okay, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, because well, well because I, I you kill they're, they're playing with they're playing with crimes of passion. The whole that was a very big thing in French yeah. law. I know that if it can be proven mm-hmm. that you're reacting out of uh, out of uh, the mm-hmm. heat of the moment, essentially, you would get off. Okay, but a man knowing that. A woman is going planning to kill another woman, and then killing that woman in you know cold blood. I'm, oh, I, I don't I, you, think that's exactly how Marcel would have had it play out because he doesn't mm-hmm. get the chance mm-hmm. to present 
mm-hmm. his version of things because they don't let it go to trial. Mm-hmm. But I think that probably what he would have done was would be to concoct mm-hmm. the idea that Marie was going to kill Camille that night. Yeah. Yeah, but even knowing and that, that it, she pre- mm. that she presents this information to him, or he finds out mm. this information in some way, mm-hmm. and then reacts out of anger or out of the heat of the moment or whatever. Mm. I think that that was his plan was to try. Yeah. If, if that's what you're thinking, I think yeah, that, that yeah, was his because plan. I'm just yeah, because I mean I'm thinking he would almost he'd have to sell it some way that he was in direct physical danger or somebody was like or that Camille was in direct or physical Camille danger, and being yeah. attacked. I mean you know to be able to present it as like a self defense yeah. because it, yeah I think that there would still be the questions like well you know then you drag the body did you to have the water to just, or did you yeah did you did you mutilate her face you know it's like why did you yeah. know is exactly so yeah I mean it's so like I said, I'm not saying it couldn't it's, work it's the face it's mutilation the, that becomes a problem it does it does because yeah. if even he could I, I can imagine someone going she presents this to me mm. you know this idea to me and then she's explaining that she's going to go that she's going to go and do it yeah because it's an immediate has, thing right now it's an immediate yeah. thing and I just reacted in fury mm-hmm. and then panicked and threw her threw her body in the river or maybe yeah. even it happened next to the river and all this happened and she ended up in the river however he wanted yeah. to tell that story right but I think the way he really did fuck himself and didn't think it through mm-hmm. is the face mutilation yeah. It's like, how do you justify it? There's no way to justify mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And by the time Dupin has gone and found that uh, that gardening tool, yeah, that that was that was clearly the the weapon that was used to to rip <laughs> rip the mm-hmm. face to shreds. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're at the point that's that's the point at which Dupin is like, no, 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 this was premeditated. Yeah, <laughs> and it's the and it's the destruction yeah. of the face that proves yeah. it. Yeah, to him. Yeah, and he's just got to find a way to make sure that anybody can mm-hmm. figure this out themselves. And I like the scene also at this party where. All this happens. Uh, I like it just because it's kind of really bold to put something so bizarre and subtle in there that, and then just have you sort of forget about it. Which I think, as a viewer, ultimately you do. But it's so weird at first when he and when uh, Dupin, I think it's Dupin and Goblin, get served. Glad they have glasses of wine on a tray, and they're, they're yes. outside. And they sit on that balcony, and you see at some point. Almost to the point that it looks like some kind of like technical mistake, like something you weren't supposed to see, or, or you know, it's such a weird because you're focusing on those two characters, and and yep. then hands reach up and kind of take what a it tray is, of is glasses. They're, they're out on about they're out yeah. on uh, like the uh, the portico, the patio yes, there, yes. The, back, the back of the building, mm-hmm. and they each uh, it, the, the prefect of police and Dupin are there, and mm-hmm. they have glasses of champagne or wine or whatever, mm-hmm. and they set them down on the on the balustrade, mm-hmm. and their backs are to it, and someone comes up. Black gloved hands, yeah, yeah, one so might also say, and plops a pill. Yeah, right. You see him. You see, you see down the, into one of the glasses, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and then we we cut, and there's mm-hmm. there's some more stuff going on, and then we come back, and they still haven't picked the glasses up, but another pair of hands that enter from the other edge of the screen, from the right side of the screen. So clearly, you yeah. know, they, they do this so that time mm-hmm. has passed. Yeah. And another pair of hands comes up and takes both the glasses away yeah, but, before they can drink anything. Right, but the camera doesn't focus in the way so you know yeah, you would expect it to. You would expect it to center in on those hands taking that glass away. Instead, it doesn't. It happens at the bottom of the screen, and Japan, you only see you you know if your eyes if you're if you're paying attention, you see it taken away, and then you see Japan glance back and realize they're gone. Yeah, and then it's just totally forgotten until the very end of the film. But I thought that was kind of a neat way to do something that you really got to pay attention to, and as a viewer, you're likely are even at the moment if you're like 
oh, I want to store that away and try and figure that. And then you probably still have just completely forgotten it by the time it finally is finally revealed is ex- what happens. Well, yeah, when it, once it's explained that that was, yeah. Bouvet, that was Bouvet who mm. spotted this being done. Yeah, yeah. And did away with the glasses because he <clears throat> he certainly doesn't want anybody to die. Right, right. So, I, yeah, it's, 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 it's really interesting. Like I say, that's one of the reasons why uh, a second viewing of this film reveals... It reveals the same uh, weaknesses that this film is always going mm-hmm. to have, but there mm-hmm. are details like that. Mm-hmm. There are little bitty pieces here and there that show that enough care was taken to yeah. not... To, this wasn't just turned out willy-nilly, sloppily, no. No. No, uh, no. with no real thought put into it. There's mm-hmm. some real work going on in this. Yeah. And I think that it, it's probably a little easier to a, lo- a little easier to recognize that because it looks so good. Yeah. Because... All the all the costumes are wonderful. The sets are great. Mm-hmm. They the even the the back screen projection stuff mm-hmm. where, where where it looks like we're supposed to be near you know ne- right next to the river. Yeah, all that stuff looks good. It does. Yeah, it's one of those cheaply produced mm-hmm. but incredibly well made little mystery thrillers. Well, that yeah. I think works. Yeah, me too. And I think it's one of the good time to just say a few words about the director uh, Phil Phil oh, Rosen, yeah. who is Russian, Russian born. Um, he was the classic, like, I mean, he had a lot of film experience. I think he yeah. was kind of the classic, just reliable technician. Because he made it, he had like 143 credits. He was more renowned as a silent film director. Yeah, very much so. When he got to the sound films, he became, you know, he did have to do a lot of films for like, you know, Monogram and PRC and, you know, a lot of the cheapies. But he obviously had a level of professionalism and craft, you know, to be able to just take these short programmers, you know, and, and yeah. be able to make them. I mean, this film looks great. Yeah. It's, 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 it's very professionally made. Um, so yeah. He, well, I think, I think he, it, he made some Charlie Chan films. And, yeah. It, it speaks well of him that he went on and made a number of the Charlie Chan movies and, uh, you know, movies like Queen of the Yukon and mm-hmm. Phantom of Chinatown. Uh, like I say, several of the Charlie Chan movies. Jade Mask, Scarlet Jade Mask, Scarlet Clue, <clears throat> The Chinese Cat, Charlie Chan and the Secret Service, which I hate to say this, but I'm telling you right now, Charlie Chan and the Secret Service <laughs> is a dog shit film. <laughs> that one is not good. Yeah. I don't know if it's Phil Rosen's worst. Well, you make 143 films and, you know, you're going to... You yeah, know, you're going to... Even Jess Franco can tell you, you know, you're going to have some, some... You're going to have some duds in there. Some duds, yeah. There's just no way around it. Um, <laughs> the... The thing about this, and this is something else I'd like to point out when we when we start talking about uh, the Sherlock the, the Sherlock Holmes and uh, you know kind of thread that it weaves in mm-hmm. you know, from mm-hmm. this film into the later Universal Holmes movies is that uh, this whole mutilating of the face with a garden implement mm-hmm. uh, that gets used later in oh, one really? of the Sherlock Holmes pictures as well. Oh, okay, the Scarlet Claw. Oh, okay, and uh, it's 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 an interesting. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think mm-hmm. that they're copying it from this yeah. necessarily. But I think that that idea being around at uh-huh. that studio, yeah. you know, things get tossed around yeah. and right, you know, between writers and at writers' rooms mm-hmm. or different producers trying to find a you know a hook, some mm-hmm. kind of horror-like hook into mm-hmm. a story that is essentially a B programmer. And uh, I would go so far as to say it's probably the same garden hoe. <laughs> these, you know, these props got reused and reused again. And <laughs> it would not surprise me. At like to see some uh, some extensive uh, still capture work going on to do some forensic work on these two pictures and see if that's possibly true. You know, it could be. Yeah. Who the hell knows? Yeah. <laughs> but um, 
I will say this. I, I do I, I do think this movie... I did not go into this movie expecting uh, some kind of hidden classic or anything like no. that. And I'm not going to tell you that that's what this is. No. Uh, because, you know, not to, no. not to leap ahead, but I, I was trying to decide after a first viewing whether this was on the 1 to 10 scale a 5 or a 6. Mm-hmm. But on a second viewing, I think it's a solid 6. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll, I'll do this. I, I want to read this piece yeah, finish out. finish up the rest of it. Uh, well, I... Well, we can go through the we can go through the end of the picture when uh, a lot of it gets wrapped up as soon as Dupin figures out the identity of the first murder victim, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who turns out to be. Remember, we're spoiling the shit out of this, folks. Uh, the The first victim was uh, Marcel's first wife, who had come to uh, because Dupin had been able to figure out that this was an English woman who'd only been in Paris for less than twenty four hours when mm-hmm. she was murdered, mm-hmm. uh, because of course he's fucking Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> but as soon as they figure out who she is, uh, this is this is exactly the the evidence that Dupin needs because it's like well, mm-hmm. both fa- the the faces of both women were mutilated to hide their identity. Mm-hmm. This is the same murderer. This was premeditated. There's no way there's no way a judge or jury is going to mm-hmm. going to think that this guy went. Crazy and had a you know and, and, and did a crime of passion twice mm-hmm. in the same exact way. That's just yeah. not gonna. That's not gonna fly. So he yeah, and right. the prefect of police race to the uh, the Roger home just as Marcel is attacking Camille because clearly he's just gone batshit crazy now. I was like, well, fuck it, I'm I'm mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they have a running gunfight across the the rooftops of Paris. And then eventually, of course, Marcel is shot and turns into a giant monkey. Yeah. No, 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 that's not, that's not, that's not, I'm wrong. Wait, no, 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 no that's not what happens. Uh, there's no orangutan, there's no giant monkey. I, I, I'm sorry, he just, he's shot and killed. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. Yeah. But that ending is exciting. It is. It is the, an the exciting. Chase, like you, like the you said, they found it worked once 10 years ago, and they... And they, they, they we're going to do it again. We're going to do it again. That's right. <laughs> but it, <laughs> uh, you know, there's a book that could be written about uh, horror movies that involve, or even just thrillers, that involve uh, chases across rooftop, rooftops. Rooftop it's like, I, I, I keep thinking there's this, there's this great French film, oh, darn it, from uh, the 70s, that stars uh, Jean-Paul Belmondo, where, oh God! I think another one you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, where he's running. Yes, where he's running, incredible doing this incredible, incredible like, stunt stuff yes, across I'm, the rooftops. Once again, of Paris. Yes, I've seen that too. I and it's just one of those yeah. things where you're like, "Holy shit, that's actually him <laughs> yeah, doing it too!" Yeah, and he's yeah. like, in another uh, in another part of the film, he's like dangling, dangling, literally uh, him dangling uh, like twenty stories up. Yeah, <laughs> off of this fucking crane outside the windows of this building. <laughs> Belmondo was insane. He I love that son of a bitch. Oh, he's great, but. The you know there's a book that could be written about uh, various horror film settings yeah. on on rooftops and the, and the well, reasons with they were yeah. used. I'm thinking about the the Hammer Dracula film oh, where God. you have the it's lovers meeting. Fa- favorite the, day of Dracula yeah. uh, has risen from the grave is yeah. the one where so much of it takes place on those, on those rooftops. rooftops which is, yeah. yeah, I love that. One. And it's, it's, they're, they're just, <laughs> it's just so much about that, and it's like. All the you know like that you could you could start with the the opening of Vertigo where mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. where we where we set the whole, we set the whole Vertigo problem for James Stewart's character up right there yeah that's just it's it's a great it's a great, it's a great idea but of course I'm not I'm not going to write it somebody else no, somebody else somebody else well I'm going to read this out from uh, the, I'm not even going to read it but somebody else write it <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. yeah I would never even buy the thing <laughs> no. Jesus Christ I'm going to read this out from the Universal Horrors right. book it says uh, a galloping pace and an appealing roster of players. Help uh, Mystery of Marie Roget over the hurdles and overall the 60-minute film sizes up as one of Universal's more attractive B-mystery adventures of the 40s. As a horror thriller, however, the film comes up short. 
All the Poe story provided the film were the title, the Paris selling, the kind of French character names, and the basic premise of a woman's body being fished out of the drink. Hmm. Otherwise, the scriptwriter was on his own to embellish the thin story to the best of his abilities. He added the uh, mutilated face angle. That's mm-hmm. nothing. In, that's not in the story. And uh, leads audiences to believe that the woman may have been mauled by the pet leopard. So that's mm-hmm. where the, the whole pet leopard becomes yeah. the, the, giant, <laughs> the giant red herring there. And I had to wonder, too, if it was some sort of weird because Rue Morgue had an animal in it that they somehow felt they had to have yeah. another animal maybe. in this one, maybe. <laughs> yeah, because we even, have the, we even have that one sequence because later on, uh, which is actually a clever way to set this up. After the, the death of uh, Marie, mm-hmm. the grandmother donates the, the leopard to the zoo. Yeah. Almost, and, and, which, yeah. Is, which is really clever because then it's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Nobody's re- if, if she feels that this leopard got out of hand and did something to somebody, mm-hmm. then she would get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Which is a clever little play within the structure of the story mm-hmm. to kind of, once again, push... Some some semblance of possibility off onto this very obvious red herring, and including like Goblin's, uh, he's had the theory that he thought she was behind it all along, or, right. or thought that her leopard was being used, and that just that kind of makes him feel even more sure of his theories. Like, oh right. look, yeah, she gave away the leopard now; she doesn't need it anymore. And, and once again, it's it's details like that that once again point to Prefect not being an idiot. Yeah, I yeah. mean because there are there are trails, there are pieces mm-hmm. of information that are being laid in front of him to lead him to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. I really do think that the best part of this film, though, is Patrick Knowles and Lloyd Corrigan as the prefect of police mm-hmm. bantering back and forth. Mm-hmm. All of their, I think mm-hmm. all of their scenes are the best scenes in the movie mm-hmm. because <clears throat> on a rewatch, they become the heart of this thing. Yeah. The, the interplay between the two of them, besides obviously the, the, Holmes, the Holmes Watson thing, it just, it's some, some of the best written interchanges between characters, the interplay between them, mm-hmm. is really effective. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy watching the two of them do this. Plus, I just got to say, I like Lloyd Corrigan a lot. Mm-hmm. And it was not until watching this movie a couple of times in the past week that I began to realize this is an actor that I can stand to see a lot more of. And maybe I need to like just kind of follow his yeah. little character actor mm-hmm. career a little bit more closely yeah. and uh, figure out where else I might be able to see him. But... Mm-hmm. They're they're fun. They're good. Have you I looked really at his filmography that. to see like have, have, if he's been in stuff that that you recognized or because I don't think I had a chance to really research uh, a lot with him uh, getting ready for the show. And supposedly Charles Middleton is somewhere in this film, although uh, damned if I could ever spot him. He plays a character. He's the, yeah, he's which the, is he? He's the curator at the zoo. He's the guy who's talking to uh, oh the okay the zoo okay the zoo. There's one scene, so he has the yeah, one scene one in scene. the film. Okay okay. Because even the second time around, I, try, I was trying to spot him and I couldn't. I was like, My where's, God, where's me? Lloyd, me? Lloyd Corrigan was in Mad, 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 Mad World. Oh, God. Just... Manchurian Candidate. Okay. Oh, he was Anton in the Bowery Boys Meet the Monsters. I do not like that movie, but now I remember Remember the that. character? Yeah, actually, yeah. yeah you know, as... Mm-hmm. I am not the biggest Bowery Boys fan. Well, you know my opinion. <laughs> yeah. The less said, the better. Yeah, I'm not... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, he was the doctor and son of Paleface, the Bob Hope film. Yeah, okay. Oh, he was in Ghost Chasers. Ghost Chasers, that's what I'm saying then. All right. Oh. I remember him in The Big Clock now that I'm. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I've not seen him in as many things mm-hmm. as I wish I had. I mean, he's, he's he was in a lot of movies. He's in that freaking terrible movie, She Wolf of London, which also which involves, we will see at some point, right? That's the universe, yeah, that, we'll, unfortunately. We'll, we'll, we'll I've that, never seen, a, but I've heard. By the way, bad. that's another movie that involves not to spoil too much, but it does involve using another a similar garden implement to, to, <laughs> okay. to fake a beast's attack. Okay. So. <laughs> How weird that that becomes something. <laughs> He was in one of the Thin Man movies. Oh, I saw he was in something in Sherwood. I know you like Robin Hood films. Is that a Robin Hood film? The Bandit of Sherwood oh, Forest? Oh, Bandit of Sherwood Forest in 46. And he was in uh, one of the Boston Blackie movies. He was in one of the Crime Doctor movies. So clearly he, he was working at Columbia pretty regularly yeah, there yeah. for a while. Okay, cool. Tarzan's Desert Mystery in 43. Mm, Captain, Captive Wild uh, Woman. Uh, yeah, so several Boston Blackie films. At yeah, least like, that's yeah. cool. So that you know, so like yeah. I say, he's, he's he didn't like for work. Where's what we're saying? Oh no, no, he, he, he stayed pretty like damn busy. But at the same time, he's one of those guys who I wonder how often he was given a role in which he could shine as sure. well as he can because he's got a lot of screen time in this movie. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I mean, He's got fully a mm-hmm. quarter of the dialogue in this freaking yeah. movie. It yeah. seems. But that's one of the joys of going through these mm-hmm. movies for me is. Coming across these great characters, I love character actors. I mean, yeah, we all yeah. know the big stars. Everybody yeah. can, everybody can point to Jimmy Stewart or Cary Grant mm-hmm. and go, "My God, they were amazing!" And that's mm-hmm. true; they really were. But those joyous little character actors off to the side that you end up seeing in multiple movies, mm-hmm. playing these little bit roles, these little pieces here mm-hmm. and there. Those are the ones that add a lot of flavor to everything, mm-hmm. and they really spice things up in a way. And they can make the, the they can make the movie pop in a way that a flatter performance just won't work. Yeah. You know, it just won't, won't, won't do anything for you. They yeah. won't, it won't bring anything new or interesting to the to the film. And Lloyd Corrigan's one of those guys who definitely could bring something to it, and I really enjoyed seeing him in this. I wonder if this is one of the most substantial, if you were, mm. if you were to calculate out yeah. the amount of the, the screen time percentage mm-hmm. that he ever got mm-hmm. in a movie, I wonder mm-hmm. if this is one of the highest percentages of yeah. any film that he ever was in. I, could be. I, I don't know, because yeah. he was in a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and Lord knows he did a lot of television later yeah, on, too. he really did. He's one of the, he's one of those actors who you scroll through his credits and it's like is there a TV series in the sixties he wasn't on? <laughs> oh Lord, he, he was even he was even in the Return of Frank James. Wow, Ghostbreakers, mm-hmm. insane. Anyway, now take it easy, Marie. Don't let your temper spoil all our plans. Our plans did not include your marrying Camille. I don't intend to marry her. Then why did you propose to her? Be quiet. Somebody might overhear you. I don't care if they do. As a matter of fact, I am going to tell them everything. You hear me? Everything. You are not going to change my mind. Don't be a fool, Marie. A fool is what I am not going to be. I won't let you marry her. I'll tell them everything. That you promised to marry me. Are you going to let petty jealousy upset all our plans? Our plans did not include your marrying, Camille. I won't let you. I won't. I have no intention of marrying her. Then why did you propose to her? It should be very obvious to you. It's only to cover us. Who could possibly suspect me, her fiancé, when she disappears tomorrow night? Can't you see? Marcel, darling, you're so clever. And I am so stupid. You do love me, don't you? Nothing can ever change that, if you'll just believe in me. Then we'll go through with our plans at the party. One Camille is gone, we have everything. Of course. As sometimes happens with a film like this, well, here's the thing. Maria Montez, after this movie... Became a big star. Yeah. And uh, therefore, uh, the next year in 43, they reissued this movie under a different title uh-huh. to play off the fact that, you know, she's uh-huh. she was a big star at the time. Yeah. And they released it under the title The Phantom of Paris. Oh, wow. <laughs> which 
is not a bad title yeah. for a movie, but it once again does make yeah. you think really hard that you're going to get a horror movie yeah. instead yeah. of yeah. a movie with the title with the, with the word mystery in the title, so that you mm. you already know going yeah. in. Well, I I paid my money for a mystery, and that's yeah. what the sucker is. You're right. Yeah. Huh. Well, of course, I do love talking uh, about the uh, the various ways in which a film was perceived at the mm-hmm. time of release. Mm-hmm. So l- luckily, we have uh, the Universal Horrors book. Uh, has a, the, a lot of the reviews from the day. Um, from the New York Post, May 5th, 1942. Rating, fair. Mm-hmm. There has been no original thought expended on lines and direction. Thus, both conversationally and in business, the picture moves with the pat assurance of a routine quickie. In point of fact, despite the famous author, the better-than-average cast... And the singing of Maria Montez, that is exactly what it is. Fair. Uh, he obviously was not aware that it was not Maria Montez's voice. <laughs> New York Times, May 5th, 1942. Bosley Crowther. I was hoping we would get a return yes. of our old friend Bosley Crowther. Yes, good, indeed. Good, good, good. Butchered retelling of Poe. <laughs> a dreary, aimless film devoid of logic or excitement or mm. even a shadow of suspense. Vaguely, it leaves an impression of wretched futility. <laughs> well, oh, Bosley. Oh. <laughs> I don't agree with you, Bosley. Bosley sounds like he'd just be so much fun to hang out with. I picture him, you know, drinking yeah. martinis oh, yeah. and, 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 and dictating this to some yeah. poor bastard who has to go type it up. While yeah. he looks down off a balcony across Manhattan and just sneers at all the little people, you know, <laughs> who under the masses the steam teeming masses off to watch their crap <laughs> films <laughs> starring things like Captain America oh sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry that's modern day people who now look down on you know whatever's happening right now yes, I'm sorry uh, the New York Daily News May 5th 1942 Kate Cameron mm-hmm. two and a half stars mm-hmm. a fair to middling mystery thriller with a little more care spent on the script to clear I should I should rephrase that with a little more care spent on the script to clear up the reasons for the second murder and with a tighter hand on the directorial reins to keep the mystery running smoothly and suspensefully through the film, this story of Pose might have been built into a first-class thriller. Hmm. So I consider that constructive criticism. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. not saying it's bad. They're right. saying that it could have been better. No, okay. The Film Daily, April 3rd, 1942. It is done with a modern flavor to play down much of the mystery tang of the 19th century. Even in the... I should rephrase that because they include the misspelling from the original paper in here. Do they really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is done with a modern flavor to play down much of the musty tang of the 19th century. Although musty was misspelled as must-tree. Yeah, yeah. Even in the sequences involving horse-drawn cabriolets... The pace is in the Hollywood manner, swift and melodramatic, a considerably better than average murder mystery. So that's a pretty good like it. Yeah, yeah. The New York Journal, May 5th, 1942, Rose Pelswick. <laughs> There's a name. That's a it. critic's name. That's a critic's name, yeah. Outside of a brief horse and carriage chase and some last-minute gunplay, there's little action in this piece, which doesn't contain much mystery either, since the identity of the murderer, the murderer is obvious all along. I don't think that's necessarily true. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they set up some some potential 
Yeah, they set up at least they set up Beauvais. I mean, because typically, definitely. yeah, again, typically, in, I mean, I think your tendency is when they make a character so suspicious, like they do Marcel, you kind of tend to look other. You kind of yeah. think, you know, this one of those films is kind of surprising in that the most suspicious character ends up actually being the murderer. The murderer, yeah. Because I really did think, especially when uh, they fish Marie's body out of the river, and then immediately mm-hmm. Beauvais has his. Uh, his uh, naval commission people come, come yeah. and take control of the body. Yeah, I was like, eh. and of course that's why he that's why Dupin sneaks in and yeah. removes her brain and yeah. then examines the brain <laughs> to you. determine that, was, that this is a criminal brain. That was the last thing that I was wanting to make sure we got oh, okay, in there. Okay. Let's talk about because you know I'm, my my medical history knowledge in terms of time frames are a little. You know, are, are very, but are I know we, there was a time. Are, are we still in the period where people thought that the final <laughs> image yeah, yeah, that where you would see thought, like, would be captured forever on the retina of your well, eye? Well, only if you're an alien monster, you know, I guess. If, if you're that's on a train there, in Har- like by the, like Horror Express, you know. But, yes, like, yes, yes. but no, you're right. I mean, as far as like, I was trying to think like, so, you know, I know there was that time when people thought these things like the size of a person's head or the shape of their skull or the space between their phrenology, eyes, like no, was, no, was no. you know, phrenology. And I didn't know if the heyday of that, I couldn't remember if it was the late 1800s or if it was still carrying over into the 1940s. So I don't know if that was a concession to what, because here's Japan, this brilliant detective is, is, is still kind of playing into, I mean, he yeah. obviously believes this, this kind of science. Yeah, and so yeah. that made me think like. And the conceit of the film is that this is real. And so this is something that bolsters, yeah. bolsters his, his, yeah. uh, his, uh, Solving of the mystery. Yeah, so I was trying to think: Did the writer mean that they would have thought this was real back in the 1800s, or did, or was this still a considered a viable science in the 1940s? And I'm not totally sure. But I did, it did crack me up when he's just, yes, I looked at her brain, and yeah, I think he already phrased it. Said the uh, Marie Roger had the twisted mentality of a confirmed criminal. <laughs> he <laughs> tells by like, looking at her you brain. Can tell? I mean, yeah. was it, did you use a microscope? <laughs> was there photography involved? I mean, help me out here. <laughs> Yeah, 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 that's, that's, yeah. Okay, The New York Sun, May 5th, 1942. A creaky piece. The acting is as old-fashioned as the screenplay. It has sound, but other it has sound, but otherwise it might be guessed to date from silent days. Yeah. Wow. As dull a piece of trash as has hit Broadway for quite a while. Man. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, The New York World Telegram, May 5th, 1942. William... Both uh, Bonell, Bonell. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go with Bonell. Since Edgar Allan Poe is considered the peer of all mystery story writers, doubtless it seemed like a good idea to film his mystery of Mary Roget. But what may have seemed like a good, great idea in theory is something else again in practice. The movie is dull and static and almost entirely lacking in suspense, and no one turns into an ape. Oh, no. so that was, I'm sorry. <laughs> you I, added, you said I, added that. I added that part there. He did not complain about there being no apes. In no the apes. That's, that's, that's completely a Rod <laughs> Barnett problem. Sorry. <laughs> so I have already stated uh, earlier yeah. in the in the podcast that I what I, I felt it was uh, you know, really just straight in the middle five, but on a second viewing, honestly, yeah. I feel it's actually a six. This that's, is a pretty good little movie, and that's what I gave it to. You know, it was oh, a six, okay. yeah, because yeah, and I think I agree with you. It got I liked it better second time through. Yeah, I give it a six because I. I feel like it, it, it is well made, it's well acted, looks great, you know, does does 
does kind of what it sets out to do pretty well, I think. Um, but also not the kind of film you're going to just go running, grabbing somebody by the collar and insisting you must, you know, if you like universal films, you have to see this film, you know. Right. But you, at the same time, you wouldn't dissuade someone if they wanted to. No. If they're a film, you'd say like, yeah, this is a cool, this is a well done movie. You should check yeah, it you, out. You, you can know, pop some popcorn and have a good yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, at some point, someday, I'll probably come across it again. And like I said, if we ever gets that fabled Blu-ray release or something ever happens to it, you know, I'd watch it again. Oh, I'd watch it again, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, six six seemed to be about right to me. It's, it's. I think that one of the, it, it, we, we've, we've kind of joked a little bit about the short running time, but it's the pace of the film that I think that allows that running time to exist. Yeah. Because the, the movie doesn't really slow down. No, no. Even when it gets talky because it has to. Mm-hmm. Because it is a mystery, and people have to interact, and we have to get our clues mm. and line them up in a row yeah. so that everything makes sense at the end. Mm. Uh, the pace is pretty good. I mean, yeah. it doesn't. I mean, in, in, in other words, I don't feel like there are pieces that are cut out of the movie to make it shorter. I feel that the pace is yeah. such that the story is told in a shorter space of time than you might expect. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because there's not the feeling that there's some something missing that yeah. we're missing. That there's like, oh, they should have expanded on this more, yeah. that more. Yeah, I mean, there's like not that. that. I think it tells the story meant to tell and, and and doesn't pad it unnecessarily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So altogether, I mean, not uh, not the find of the year, but no. a pretty good little movie. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Well, folks. Uh, we're going to take a break here, and when we come back, we'll uh, dive into the mailbag. We actually have uh, one piece of mail from across the ocean. Uh, it's right. actually in, on audio in form. So uh, hold on just a moment, folks, and we will come back to uh, to hear what someone has to say to us. There's actually some questions. Oh. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a serialized monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror films. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and the original chill role-playing game. My goal is to recreate the thrills of the monster versus monster films that we all love. We'll have vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, and scheming madmen, and that's just in the first storyline. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and other monster stories sent directly to your email for as little as a dollar a month. For just two dollars, you'll get all the chapters in advance, plus bonus stories and other perks. Sign up now at CushingHorrors.com or visit SDSullivan.com for a Patreon link. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again and remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. Thank you for coming back. It is definitely time to dive into the mailbag here on the Bloody Pit. Every now and then, you could hear your email read out when mm-hmm. Troy and I actually get emails. We do like mm-hmm. to read them out and respond yes, to we them. Do. If you have questions or comments, you can write to us at thebloodypit at gmail.com. We'll be glad to hear from you. Alternatively, you can record your questions, mm-hmm. comments, derisive laughter, or mm-hmm. insulting mm-hmm. <laughs> commentary on the way we conduct our lives. 
and send it in in the same way. Just send it as an attachment or, I don't know, a Dropbox link or whatever the hell weird type of technology you're willing to play with in whatever way you wish to play with it. Don't send any photographs of that, though. You're no, a filthy, do not send you're a photographs filthy, of you playing with it. You're filthy person, and I don't want to know about those yeah. things. But what we have here is a uh, 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 an audio email sent to us by frequent contributor to not just the mailbag, but to the podcast itself. Mm-hmm. Adrian Smith, he from across the pond. Oh, I forgot to call him Doctor. Doctor Adrian doctor. Smith. So let's see what he's, <laughs> let's see what he's got to say. Hi, bloody pit. Adrian here with just a couple of thoughts on the Ghost of Frankenstein. Thank you for doing a film that I had in my collection, so I could watch it. <laughs> so many of the films you do, I've never seen and probably will never. Um, watch or get the opportunities to watch but this one I knew I had the Frankenstein collection and I'd never actually watched all the films on it so uh, this was a good excuse to dig out the Ghost of Frankenstein and particularly the, the short running time helped with that so I enjoyed watching this one it's a fun movie um, and as you said uh, Bella is particularly good a couple of quick points um, that I thought were interesting the first one is the whole thing about how the brain stops working because of the different blood types between Igor and Frankenstein. Now, considering that Frankenstein was built from body parts, from numerous dead people, presumably many of whom had different blood types, how is the uh, the fact that you you can have an organ rejected because of incompatibility not being an issue before. I mean, if that was the case, surely Baron Frankenstein would have had to do blood type analysis on every single corpse he dissected and put together. Um, I just think that's an interesting thing that they would suddenly bring this up now as a potential um, way of driving the plot. Um, But it makes no sense. How can incompatible blood types become an issue now the fourth one in with all the different body parts and things plus no point before did he did he take uh dr kettering's blood sample and that was a thing that was mentioned you know usually these things are telegraphed in a little bit earlier in the film somebody will do some kind of blood type analysis and then there'll be this will be a callback at the climax but it just comes out of nowhere perhaps this is because of the very shortened script maybe there was something a bit more about that earlier on so that this sudden reveal about blood types would make sense but i thought that made no sense at all um the other thing is about the little girl so he takes the little girl back to the asylum and and then um we see her father and all the people at the police station and her father says very clearly that she's been missing for two weeks two weeks what if they why didn't they just take her home again why even you know um even in anchors uh, what's her name elsa she's the sane one in all this and then she just runs up when the villagers storm the place she runs upstairs and brings her down the little girl down still wrapped in the same blanket this has been two weeks have they just kept her wrapped in that blanket for two weeks like what was the point why didn't they take her back and you know take us that same night they could have put her straight back in bed well they could have tried and then they would have found that her house had burned down but still they made no attempt to uh take her back which i thought was really odd because if they had taken her back 
these people wouldn't have stormed and the, destroyed the place anyway. So, yeah, that made no sense. Why is she still upstairs wrapped in a blanket after two weeks? I mean, she could have just walked home on her own. The front door wasn't locked. So why was she still there? Uh, maybe they were using her to pacify the monster. I don't know. Very odd. Uh, anyway, I'm prepared. I'm prepared to be told that I'm wrong. Maybe I misheard the two weeks thing, but I'm fairly sure that the father said that it had been two weeks. And again, maybe this is a another part where this it has suffered because of the editing down of the script or the film. Maybe there was a bit more in there to sort of justify that, but on the surface, it made no sense at all. Anyway, I'd be interested in your thoughts on both of those points specifically. Um, but yes, keep up the good work. I'm looking forward to you getting to some of the Sherlock films. Uh, they'll be fun to uh, to hear what you've got to say about those. I'm still trying to decide whether or not to buy the Inner Sanctum Mysteries Blu-ray box set too, because I've never seen any of those, but they sound like they could be quite fun. So maybe I'll wait till you've covered some of them uh, before I decide. Anyway, bye for now. Well, first of all, thank you, Adrian, for yeah. uh, for I won't say writing in, but recording mm. as you yeah. as you so often do. Mm. I have answers to your questions. Uh, first, yeah, buy the Inner Sanctum set. Oh, that yeah. wasn't really a question, was it? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, the the films are a mixed bag. The Inner Sanctum films are a mixed bag, mm. but uh, that set is going to have a number of extras on it, and the winners in the set are worth seeing. Mm. If you can get it at a good price, definitely do it. Uh, the the duds in the series are actually uh, they're almost worth seeing just because of the way in which they are duds. Yeah, yeah. But uh, if you want to wait until we start talking about them, it's going to be a long wait, and that thing may be out of print. So I'm just going to yeah. warn you now. Yeah, I'd Richard, probably go ahead and buy it. It's it's um, you know a chance to see a very strange kind of stretch in Lon Chaney Jr.'s career where he basically got to be the stud muffin in every one of these films. <laughs> yeah, every female yes. in these films just fall. Fall, uh, you know, they basically do the Paul Nashy, you know, yes. female swoon, uh, no matter what their age, you know, half his age, and they all, yeah. Yeah, here's the thing. Uh, <laughs> Lon Chaney Jr. in the Inner Sanctum films, if you could just squint your eyes and picture the, the role he's playing as being played by Cary Grant yeah. in the same year, <laughs> yeah. then you would get the, the correct idea of how they're portraying his character within the structure of those stories. It's very yeah. odd. It is, it is. But to answer your questions uh, in probably reverse order, yes, I think that uh, they definitely did still have the little girl and were holding her for two weeks because I think the film makes it. They, they don't draw a line under it and make you know and put an asterisk beside it or anything. But it's very clear that they don't really have a way to bring the girl back to her father without giving the whole game away, and they can't really fit. They they they. That's one of the things that's kind of torturing the uh, Evelyn Anchors character mm-hmm. is while she's playing mommy to this girl for day after day, she doesn't really. They don't mm-hmm. have a they don't have a, a good solution as to how to get this kid back to her dad mm-hmm. without letting them know. Oh yes, the Frankenstein family's back at the monster making fucking thing again. Yeah, and so. plus, uh, you know, and when it was thought that Karloff was going to play the monster, you know, they had a. Uh, there were more scenes of the monster and the girl conversing. I think in that room, I think in that house, I think yeah. scenes that they had together that were very touching, you know, a little dialogue between them. And so I think they, they would probably that had they kept that stuff, it would have, I think, conveyed more of the fact that they, they, they were actually keeping this girl around or the monster was forcing them to, or they didn't want to just, like you said, a combination of not giving everything away and also keeping the monster pacified and, and, yeah. and, and that there, there were, so there were scenes with the girl during that time stretch that would have made it, 
seem a little make a little more sense possibly yeah, yeah and and i would be all for the movie being a little bit longer to get that point across mm. and actually to see some of those scenes just yeah yeah just to just to have the movie feel a little bit a little bit larger mm-hmm. in a way to, mm-hmm. to to kind of to, to, to kind of spread that stuff out uh your first question about the movie which was about the and a very interesting point about the blood type uh, oh yeah the blood type thing well i had always gotten the impression and this this is a in the initial films, the whole question of all these various body parts, I just always, it has always been my assumption that the assembled creature, all, all the blood shoved back into that body was blood from, you know, a single victim. In other words, you, you have to assemble the victim, you have to assemble the body, and then you're going to put the blood into yeah, it. Yeah, in fact, you could almost, I would think you could almost choose your blood type because you're going yeah. to have to put a whole new blood supply in someone. And so yeah. they're kind of, it's kind of like starting from scratch, you know. Yeah. Maybe he just picked the most, you know, you would think he'd pick the most common blood type, but maybe maybe Igor had a, thought, maybe yeah. Igor had a had one of the rarer ones, you know. But uh, <laughs> that would be that would be my thought because mm-hmm. when you we, having we, not tried this ourselves, we can't swear to the validity of it. But you know, and without being able to go back and question the the yeah. mighty Doctor Frankenstein, just about mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. he was how, how he was going mm-hmm. about making sure that. But that, that's always been my impression is that you you know you you don't assemble the body and then you know use the individual blood from each part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that, that's you, gone already. Yeah. You would think that's that would have you would have to get that out of there or it's probably mm-hmm. coagulated so you've got to you know mm-hmm. whip up a, that's another thing we didn't see is him whipping up the suction, suction pump and mm-hmm. warming the body so we can get the coagulated blood out of the veins mm-hmm. so we can get something fresh in there because <laughs> you know when you start getting into that area you start mm-hmm. talking about just how how difficult it would be to reattach all those veins various and nerve and endings and the veins I can see those yeah, are big enough you can nerves. get yeah, exactly, so the yeah. nerves uh, yeah that's really weird <laughs> and, it's like, and then you begin to realize wait a minute this whole story is falling apart just like a goddamn monster would <laughs> So, <laughs> but that is that. That's always been my thought: is that the uh, the artificiality of the creature in the first place lends itself to the artificiality of the blood as well. And as Troy just said, kind of picking the mm-hmm. most common blood type and that you can get your hands on easiest, so as to make repairs <laughs> pretty much uh, as easy as possible down the road. You, you, you want to be able to use uh, the, the most easily findable motor oil when you purchase a car. Yeah. <laughs> so that would be part of it, I would think. Yeah. But, but so, yeah, I... I, I uh, I'm glad to have the questions, and mm. if that's really your first time watching this movie, yeah, that's yeah, it's amazing that uh, that's that's great. That, that I'm glad we inspired you to check it out. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And that's I, great. And you know, it's always would you know, it's always good to get the input of a medical man. You know, so uh, <laughs> so you know, Doctor Smith, uh, feel free to send us your question per ep- your medical question per episode, and we will bring absolutely no expertise to our answer. You know, uh, and, yes, and yes, everybody, I, all the listeners will be pleased with. with in that. some cases, we will uh, we will bullshit our way. <laughs> straight right out of that wet paper bag and see what happens. Yeah, you don't see us, you know, just kind of shrugging at each other the whole time that we're, you know, answering these these questions like I well, got also, something. Well, also the good news nothing. is the good news is he also doesn't see us rolling our eyes. Yeah, just going, like what the fuck is wrong with this ass? <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> what are we going to do with him? Uh, anyway, Adrian, once again, thank you very much yeah. for the questions and Wow, yeah, I think the, the the biggest upshot for me is that we uh, we got you to watch that movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, watch the other ones in that set. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Go watch them. Yeah, whatever one you have. We'll not be seen. covering. We'll be covering all the rest coming up. So uh, yeah, get it, get it. Yeah, watch know. them before we talk about them. Man, yeah, you, you want to talk about you, us? You've got five something? or six years before we get to, <laughs> yeah, to God, get no. through them all. No joke. Remember, folks, you too can send your missives to us. Mm. 
at thebloodypit at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And uh, by the way, uh, the next time Troy and I sit down to uh, re- to continue this thread on the 1940s Universal Horror Films, we're going to get to one that I'm kind of excited to rewatch because I haven't watched it in a long while. And it is now available on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Scream Factory. Uh, the Strange Case of Dr. R.X. Mm-hmm. 1942. We're still in April in 1942. Troy. <laughs> Moving month by month. This, yeah. Uh, yes. I've never. Yes, I've never seen this one. So. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah, uh, cool. I'm, I'm going to be. It's going to be interesting to see your reaction to this. Yeah. I'm gonna, it's been a while since I've watched it, so it's going to be interesting to uh, to revisit this one. Uh, strangely enough, Patrick Knowles re- returns. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the big plus side, we have Lionel Atwill again. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, so that's going to be fun. Uh, sprinkled in there, some other things like Shemp Howard. Yeah, Shemp Howard and uh, Manton Moreland. And, uh, yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So uh, next time out, uh, it won't be before the end of this year, I don't Probably think. not with all the other shows you got planned and the other things we got yeah, planned. You know, we, so we maybe got, early. We got Christmas episode. Yeah. We got another, uh, we got a Beyond Nashy on the, uh, the Nashcast yeah. feed to do. Uh, we've got another commentary to record. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, that's, we're, we're not telling you. What we're not it is. telling you people what it is. What it, what it is because it hasn't been announced yet. But yes, we've got a more than a little work to keep us busy between mm. now and the end of the year. But so it might be like January, maybe at the earliest before yeah. we get to the back to our Universal series. So if you need that set uh, that has the strange case of Doctor RX, you can ask for it for Christmas. Yeah, yeah. It also has murders in the zoo. Don't tell him to build a blade pit. No kidding. So yeah, murders in the zoo and the Mad Ghoul and uh, the Mad Doctor of Market Street. I think yeah, are the yeah, other yeah. three that's, films. Uh, yeah. The other three films in that set. Uh, that's a that's a good set to yeah, buy. Yeah, that's not bad at all. Like fifty bucks for mm-hmm. four films like that with a few yeah. extras. It's nothing worth. Nothing. Uh, nothing to sneeze at. It's uh, we live in amazing times yes, we do. for film fans. So once again, folks, we want to thank you very much for listening to us babble away about these universal horror films, or in this case, universal mystery film. Mm-hmm. This really is setting us up to get to those Sherlock Holmes movies. Yes, it is. Yeah. All right. Once again, folks, thank you very much for listening to us, and we will talk to you again soon. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. See you later.
and the tombs don't quake. I'm with the swinging wake. Happy holidays and the end of Socialize. Bring bring us, come out to socialize.